Well, in the 1990s, a theory started to circulate among a group of scientists that posed the idea that we are not real creatures, but that we exist only inside a computer simulation. As crazy as this might sound, in the last 10 years, this theory has gained momentum among physicists and other scientists and cosmologists who now believe that they might be on the edge of scientifically proving once and for all that our universe is simply just a computer simulation. Now, how could they suggest that they could scientifically prove that we are simulation? Well, they would say by running another computer simulation. Now, that sounds funny, but what they think they could prove to us is this. There are scientific studies of the cosmos, of the universe that exist already, that when we have studied them, they produce consistent, specific anomalies or glitches, if you will, in the way the universe operates and the way it behaves. If you're a Matrix fan, if you're a geek like I am that that, loves that movie, it's when Neo sees the cat twice, right? It's a glitch in the system that they tell him in the Matrix. The scientists propose that if we perform our own computer simulations of the cosmos, we would be able to reproduce the same glitches in the system, thus proving the theory that we are simulations in a computer of some super force or higher power, some lab somewhere. Now, why do I mention this to you right now? Well, it might be because of 2020. It seems like we're in this weird computer simulation with COVID, but that's not the real reason. The reason to tell you about this is because this simulation theory is causing some real worry, some real angst among philosophers of all people. And I think it's pretty interesting. The worry among philosophers does not come from thinking this theory is false, but the worry comes from the computer simulation theory might be true, and they think it might be true. Indeed, many philosophers have long thought that this exact idea might be true. What they are worried about, though, is the research of the scientists waking us all up to the supposed fact that we are really just a computer simulation and not real. Now, why would they worry about that as a philosopher? Because these philosophers think that if the people inside the simulation realize that they are a simulation, then the force or the people running the test on us, running the simulation, might terminate the simulation and we would cease to exist. I find it incredibly interesting that these very smart people would then spend their lives seeking to answer the most important question and basic question in the world this way. The question drives them forward in their research, doesn't it? I could argue that this question, the most important question in the world, is because it is a question that you and I have asked and that every person that has ever lived has asked asked this same question. Now, what's the question? The question the world thinks is the most important is why am I here? The question the world thinks is most important, why am I here? Hmm. You might have asked this question already today. Like, why am I even at church today? Certainly you have asked it in some time over the last week. The question comes in many forms. What's my purpose? 
Am I happy? And is my life turning out the way that I want it to? Maybe I need a new house. Maybe I need a new car or a new spouse even. It's the question that begins our study in this new series, Genesis Volume 2. Today we begin this new spring series, Genesis Volume 2, but it's really a continuation from a longer series of Genesis Volume 1 we started last year in the spring of 2019 as we work our way verse by verse through the book of Genesis. We study this first of the books of Scripture because it answers so many of our basic questions about life, our gender, our uniqueness, our race, our identity, our purpose, our physical DNA, and certainly our spiritual DNA. And it answers why we are here. It all points back to a grand design. And when, whenever you have a grand design, you have to have a grand designer. Just like the book of Genesis is going to reveal who God is. Let's begin where we always begin with what I believe to be the most important question in the Bible uh, or the most important verse in the Bible that answers this question. Look at this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You go, Paul, the most important uh, verse? Yes, the most important verse. It says that there was a beginning to all creation. Everything that exists is a creation. But more importantly, it says that God is that one who created everything, right? The Latin term for this is ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. God speaks time and space and matter into existence all at one point. But this verse says something even more important, that God exists and still exists outside of this creation, outside of time, space, and matter. You see, the most important question the world asks, why am I here, is not really the most important question that we can ask, is it? The book of Genesis begins to answer the most important question that we can ask. The most important question really is, who is God? That's why we study the book of Genesis. That's why we study any book of the Bible. We want to understand the character of God so we can begin to understand who we are. Because when we begin to understand who God is, this creator who exists outside of space and time, and is all-powerful, we can begin to understand who we are as a creation and who we are meant to be. Listen to me, purpose. In the study of Genesis, we can see so much of what has been lost and what God is calling us to be now. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Why there is pain, why there is suffering, why life is like it is. Because of this, our series begins today a little bit before we left off last time when sin had entered creation. The man and woman have both sinned where we are starting today. They had eaten the fruit of the forbidden tree. The woman had been tempted by the serpent who we know to be Satan. 
who had entered into creation, a fallen angel sometime had come into creation after the uh, chapter 1, verse 31. We begin here because it's at this point so much of our lives revolve. Pain, suffering, decay, even death. It all starts right here in Genesis chapter 3. If we want to understand who we are and why we are here, we must start here. The fall of mankind. And in shorthand, when we say fall, it's not just our fall, but all of creation fell as well. In this series, we are going to see every part of creation is different because sin entered the world. Ecology, plant life, animal life all fell. The weather and the greatest change of all is in our relationships. Relationships to both each other as humans, but really in our relationship to God and how it's damaged. Look at verse 8 with me. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Remember, they had just sinned at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? We find in the Bible a foundational character of who God is. God is it teaches omniscient. That means he knows every detail that could ever be known. The word omniscient literally comes from two Latin words put together. Omni meaning all. You've heard that. And shenisha meaning that knowledge. It's where we get the word amnesia from. No knowledge. We need to understand that this is the core of who we are about in God. We, When we see who God is as omniscient, we should understand that this means that he is perfect in knowledge of all things. God doesn't need to know anything new. He doesn't need to learn anything new. He has never forgotten gotten anything. Are you with me? Omniscient. So why does God call out to Adam and Eve, where are you? Why does he do that? Because God wants Adam and Eve to understand where they are in relationship to him and what has happened in their fall into sin. Adam and Eve are in the garden hiding between these two trees, the tree of life on one side and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil on the other side. God has said, don't eat from this tree. You can eat all that you want from this tree, but not this tree. Oh, Adam and Eve were in the exact same place where God left them, but they may just as well have been millions of light years away from God. Why? Because Adam and had been instructed by God before Eve was even created from Adam's side that they could not eat from this tree in the garden. They could eat from any other tree, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now get this. We do not believe there was anything wrong with this tree, like it had some kind of poison or chemical that woke them up to make them fall into sin. No. In fact, write this down. The sin of the first man and woman was a sin of disobedience. The sin of the first man and woman was a sin of disobedience. Here's what I mean in that. Simply put, when Eve was deceived by Satan and ate the forbidden fruit that God said, don't eat this fruit, what she was doing was believing what Satan had said and what she observed over what God had commanded. 
Are you with me? This is still how sin works in our lives today. God says one thing in his word right here. And we believe something quicker, better could be done. We believe the lies of Satan and we say, here's what my experience says. I think I know better than God. What I find so interesting here is way back at verse six, if we go back, watch what Eve does as she compares what Satan has said against what God has said and her own experiences. She says this, or it says this in verse six. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now watch this, a little side note. Here I find this Fascinating. Satan, the serpent, tempts Eve to start uh, uh, to look at the fruit and use it, and he twists God's words, and Adam's sin is slightly different, wasn't it? He's not deceived. Adam was the one who was appointed to oversee and protect the garden and protect and lead his wife. Where was Adam? He was right here. Adam is apparently standing next to Eve, watching, listening, taking this all in. Why doesn't Adam stop this? Why doesn't he throw the snake out of the garden? Why doesn't he protect his wife? He, he's looking at this, and he's saying, is this what God says? He's being tempted too, and yet it's worse. He eats the fruit. She eats the fruit first, and he looks at that before he eats it. And, and she doesn't suddenly, like, uh, get ugly. She doesn't turn green or something. She doesn't grow horns. He's waiting and watching because if you're Adam, you're watching Eve very close after she eats. God had told you that if you eat of this fruit of the tree, that you would surely die. And Adam must have been thinking, I, I, let's see what happens to Eve before I eat it. Let's see what happens and see if she actually dies. They've never seen death. By the way, by the way, man, this is not how you protect your wives. This is not how you lead your family, like letting them sin and seeing what happens. That's just wrong. We don't do that. For both Adam and Eve, here's what we need to understand. Sin always begins in the heart before it leads to action. Sin always begins in the heart before it leads to action. For both Adam and Eve, their sin started in their heart. Eating the fruit was simply the fulfillment of the sin. That's where the disobedience came in. They believed something other than God. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He says, you have, been, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He says this about anger as well. He says, if you've uh, thought it in your heart, in the core of you, he says, you're already guilty. Listen to me. Sin is a heart issue. So Adam watches Eve eat the fruit. 
and we don't know what she says, but I kind of picture her doing this uh, like, oh, is this wonderful? She takes a big bite. It's kind of how I feel when I'm watching someone eat fajitas and I haven't gotten mine yet. Like that's what I think. Adam is licking his lips. He's going, this is going to be so good. She hands him the fruit and he bites down, right? Isn't it really interesting that that not until after Adam eats the fruit, their eyes are open. It's not after Eve, it's after Adam and Eve, or Eve and Adam. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. Hang on right there. Adam eats the fruit after Eve, and then both of them are open. I don't know what this fully means, but I sense that it has something to do with Adam's role as the head of the family. But the bigger picture that I want you to see is that this is a family issue. Not only does the individual fall, but the family, the relationship between these two first humans fall in at the same time as all of creation. We know this because of the second half of the verse. Let's look right here. Genesis 3, 7, the second half. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Oh, look at this. They want to cover their shame. This is back where we started, isn't it? Back at verse 8 now. No, they had not physically died when they had sinned, but they were separated from God instantly at this spiritual death. Are you with me? This is important to understand. What is their first inclination to do? To hide themselves from each other, to cover themselves, cover their bodies. Don't look at me. They're thinking, I've got to cover myself. And then to hide from God. In the trees, in the dark, to sink back into the leaves, to sink into creation, to play like God can't see them. Like a little kid that covers his eyes, right? He, he covers his eyes and he thinks if he can't see you, you can't see him. <laughs> Even for us, we who are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, real Christians, by his substitutionary death on the cross that paid for our sin and gave us his righteousness, what do we do when we sin? <laughs> Listen, our sin makes us want to cover our shame and hide from God. Our sin makes us want to cover our shame and hide from God. It's why places that produce a great deal of sin that are are dark physically, you know what I mean? It's why there is an incognito function on your web browser because we want to hide our sin not only from God but hide from each other. And yet, That makes no sense at all. No more sense than the little kid covering his eyes and and thinking, if I can't see you, you can't see me. Oh, Adam and Eve trying to hide in the bushes from God who sees everything, who knows everything. Do you see how sin drives this separation from our earthly relationships and drives our separation from our relationship with God? The word death literally means separation. To be physically dead meant for the soul to be separated from the body. That's what it means. The flesh dies, but the spirit goes on. Listen to me, whether you go on to heaven or hell, it's been separated. The body is physically dead, but not the spirit. 
But God, in his warning to Adam and Eve to not eat the forbidden fruit of the tree, was not talking about physical death first as a result of Adam's sin, but a spiritual death. The kind of death where we, the created people, created to be in this relationship with God the Father, are separated because of our sin, what we did. And here is what blows me away and why we study the book of Genesis to find out the truth. Because the world lies to us about God. God is always painted by the world as being this kind of God that says, you're not perfect, you're sinful, you're ugly, you're, you just get out of my sight, I hate you. But that is not true at all. Because where we started back at verse 9, God says, where are you? He seeks us. You see, every other religion on the face of the earth is about you and I having to get to God. But that's not the God of the Bible. No, he is the God who knows your laws. He knows you are filled with shame. He knows you are sinful and cut off. And he knows that you are hiding from him. So what does he do? He comes looking for you. Why? Because he loves you. Next week, we're going to uncover some of the deepest truths about the world and the way it is. Why there's so much pain, so much suffering, so much death in the world today. You ever wonder that? We're going to see why life just doesn't seem to work right and why through God's love and through his sovereign plan that he will show Adam and Eve his plan to bring them from spiritual death and separation from God back into spiritual life and perfect communion with God. And that's for us as well. Well, in just a few minutes that we have left here, I want you to put yourself in the place of Adam and Eve as they hide in those trees and God calls out to them. They're desperately trying to cover their nakedness, their shame. They hear the voice of God calling out to them. God knows where they are. He knows everything. Do they respond? In that split second of struggle, as they hear the voice of God and they look at each other, do they respond? They had to be thinking here. What do we say? What do we do? We don't have all the answers. They felt cornered by God, trapped, caught in their sin. Maybe, maybe you're feeling that way today. Although there are some of that say things like, well, I don't need God. I'm a pretty good person. I don't think that's the vast majority of people. I think most realize that seeing their light, their, their sin in light of who God is, they feel unworthy. The regret and the sin seem so heavy on people. As your friend, if you are feeling that what I called God, what I call godly grief, that's a good thing. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. The world tries to tell you about God being mean. They try to say he's unloving because of the shame and the grief that we feel over our own sin in light of a holy God. But godly grief produces what? Repentance. And it is a repentance, it is that repentance that leads us to salvation. 
If you are stuck in shame and grief and hiding from God and, in, uh, and hiding from deep relationships inside the church family, God's offer through Jesus Christ, his substitutionary sacrifice is like God holding out his hand to Adam and Eve and saying, come on, come on, I can fix this. Come out of the bushes, but come out and take my hand, take my offer of salvation. You see, the world thinks the most important question is, who am I and why am I here? And really, what we need to know is, who is God? Then I can know how to spend the rest of my life and how I can respond. And then I can ask the question, whose am I? Well, let's pray. Would you bow your head? God, our Father in heaven, our prayer is that you would help us to come out of the shadow of our hiding places of sin. Help us to leave our belief in this false lies that Satan tries to sell us and that the world tries to tell us. Help us to leave those behind and help us to take your hand, God, to walk with you, Jesus. Jesus, we believe that you are the Son of God. We believe that you came to earth fully God and yet fully man and that you lived a perfect life without sin. We believe that you faced every temptation Adam and Eve and even all of us have faced. But unlike you, you never sinned. We believe you. We believe you, God. We believe you lived a life of righteousness. And you died on a Roman cross for the sins of all the elect. The believers, your followers, your people, God. Jesus, we believe that you conquered death. You conquered the grave. You conquered sin. And you paid for the sins of all your people. We believe that you were raised to life on the third day, proving that you are, in fact, God. We believe that you appeared to the apostles for 40 days and promised us that you would return and take us all home to be with you forever. Jesus, we believe. Help us to follow you until you come back for us and take us home to be with you in heaven forever. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Let's worship together.